God, Spirit, Jesus, again, as we said earlier, we, we invite you, we, we confess our need for you. We are, we are poor in spirit, just confessing that we need you to teach us. God, I pray that um, everything that uh, comes out of my mouth would, would be guided by your spirit. Everything that goes into the ears of your people uh, would be from you. Filter out any dumb thing that I say so that they can hear straight from what you want them to hear, straight from you. Uh, so we just put our trust in you today, just trusting that you love us. You've shown us that by the cross and the resurrection, the ascension. Uh, it's so clear how much you love us and, and the good work that you're doing in us. So God, open our eyes to see what you're doing and open our ears to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is <clears throat> an ability that you have that if it's developed, could be the most powerful, joy-producing thing in your life. This thing <clears throat> that is potentially so powerful in your life, <clears throat> you should consider it to be a superpower, like a secret superpower. And likely, this thing, this thing that you have, this ability that you have, you've probably overlooked it most of your Christian life. You've read your Bible, you probably skate right over this thing most of the time. I don't think it's talked about as much uh, in the church as, as, as a key thing that we need to grow in our faith, but hopefully I'll make the case today that it is big, it's, it's big. So I know that I created a slide with a word that's gonna give away everything that I didn't think that through very well. I'm trying to create some suspense, right? What is this thing I'm talking about when it's like right there? So pretend you, you don't see that. Um, this thing, this, this quality, this ability that you have, you likely don't give it a second thought. Um, and guess where this ability dwells? It dwells in your imagination. We love like movies and stories and things that, that, that are about what, our, what we can imagine. Uh, so, so much about what we read and what we love is all about just like developing the, the imagination. This superpower, potential thing that, that is joy producing, so powerful that, it, that is the, this is the thing that caused martyrs throughout Christian history to sing while they're being burned at the stake and eaten by lions. This thing is powerful. Not only is it powerful for us, but this is a quality that God has. God himself, this, this is mind-blowing for me this last couple weeks. God himself has this. This is part of what makes him complete and sinless. He always has this quality and this ability and this is so important to God that, that as, as loving and as much of a rescuer God is, he's not willing to rescue you and deliver you and preserve you from trial if it means you lack this. It is so important to him 
that he's not willing for you to miss out. So God himself has this thing, but you want to ask the question, like, all these things in our life that cause us to groan and, and, and are frustrated and, and cause despair and depression in our lives, these are, real, these are real things, all right? We have people that we love that, that, are, that are suffering, that ourself, we, our, we ourselves suffer. What is, what is going to get us through? Now think about, think about God in the beginning when he made everything perfect, and, and he's looking at his creation and he's saying, this is good. And he's looking at his creation of human beings and he says, this is very good. And, and, his, and his vision of why he made us is for fellowship with him to be rich. And then what happens? Satan comes in and leads Adam and Eve into sin and basically just ruins the, the whole thing. Now, from God's perspective, he wasn't surprised. He's not disappointed. But what is the thing as God sees everything that basically destroys all that is good, sin, death, sickness, sadness, when God looks all of that, looks at all of that, what is it that sustains his joy? In Romans 8, we see what that is. Turn there real quick. Romans 8 Verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage, from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let me see if I can unpack that super fast. Um, There's a word that we skimmed over that's on the screen. What did it say in verse 20? The creation was subjected to futility. All right, who did that? Not willingly, but because of him, who's him? Who subjected it in hope. You know God has hope? And do you know that he subjected the, the creation to futility in hope? What was his hope? What was it that God saw in his imagination? Is that another mind-blowing thing? God has an imagination. He imagines. He, he looks. Now he sees everything complete, beginning, end. It's all one for him. But somehow he has hope. It says, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So God sees something that he promises and he has hope that it's coming. He's able to look at all of the junk and sin and the, and the fall and all that destroys everything that is good and what is God doing? 
What is sustaining his joy? He's looking to something that he's like, this is something I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son. He's going to die and rise, and he's going to glorify and save saints, and, and that is going to free up this futility and this bondage to corruption through the children of God. That is what's sustaining, is, is sustaining God's hope. And this same thing, this, this ability that God has, he wants in you. So, so w- let me see if I can simplify this. God's word goes forth. He speaks a promise. It's such a sure reality that he sees the sure reality and he has this eager longing. This is coming. There's no question that it's coming. For God, it's, there's, there's no doubts in his mind. There's no other scenario. There's no, there's no, there's no multiverse for God. It, it really is one promise that he makes, one statement that he makes. Something comes out of the mouth of God. It is reality. So that is what he sets and fixes his joy on. It's eagerness over his own character and his own promise. And it's a longing in the imagination. Obviously, I'm talking about hope. Um, I think it's good to maybe get a clear definition, definition of what hope is. I've said a few things so far, but maybe to just to be a little bit more clear, I think a lot of times we conflate faith and hope. It's kind of synonymous for us. And, and so I spend a little time trying to just think through, all right, what are the differences between faith and hope? Because they're not the same. I think they're very much related and, and there are similarities, but they're not the same. I think faith needs to come first. I think then hope comes after that. So you see a reality of who God is or you see a promise of something that God has said and you're sure because of God's character, you're like, Yeah, I know this is true. And then what happens after that is you begin to imagine either God's character or God's promise. You begin to imagine it in your your mind, it coming to pass. You begin to imagine what it would be like to obtain that promise. So uh, faith is a confident trust, hope is a confident anticipation. Faith is taking God at his word, and when he promises us something, hope is a real expectation of experiencing those good things. Faith is knowing that God's promises are sure because he's good. Hope is the delight that you feel when you expect to obtain those promises. Faith holds that a promise of God is true. Hope anticipates the promise fulfilled. Let's put it this way. If, I don't expect you guys to write all that down. Um, (laughs) put it this way, the the Bible talks about the eyes of the heart. If the eyes of the heart is faith, is, is, is your faith giving you ability to see, then, then the, the, the throbbing of the heart as it's anticipating is hope. If, if your eyes are looking at Jesus if you're, the, the eyes of your heart are looking at Jesus and you're like, 
I know you're Savior. I know you're a compassionate Savior. That's faith. Now, now as the heart begins to pump and anticipate, and you envision him compassionately saving you, you see it in your mind. That's hope. Put it another way, if you picture a sign on the door that says, uh, Jesus saves or Jesus delivers or gives freedom from sin. Let's just say that. It's a promise. The sign on a door that says, Jesus delivers from sin. Okay? You look at that sign and you're like, I know that's true. What hope does is it, is it sees on the other side of the door an, ex, an experience of being free from, from your sin. So hope then this is my definition of hope, and this is where you can fill in the blank, all right? Like, some of you are, like, ready to fill in that first, first blank. All right, Christian hope is a flame in the imagination of the Christian, lit and fueled by thoughts of experiencing God and all that he promises to give us in Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Christian hope is a flame in the imagination of the Christian lit and fueled by thoughts of experiencing God and all that he promises to give us in Jesus. One commentator said, abiding in hope is a confident expectation for God's provision. So again, God speaks a promise, it's a sure reality, and we have an eager anticipation of experiencing it. Think about the gospel. Think about the fact when you hear, you hear verses that say that Jesus was uh, crucified before the foundation of the world. Why? Why does it say that? Because for God, it's such a sure reality that he spoke that he will do that it's like as, as if it was present or past because it's done. Like when, when that was written, it, where was that you know, in the timeline? That didn't matter. It's a sure reality. So I want to push you past this point of not giving hope a second thought. I want you to really, really um, grab a hold of your hope with intention and think through what occupies your imagination. I also want you to consider what sin does to your hope. What happens is, every, with every sin either done to us or done by us, our imagination is distorted. Things don't quite look right in our minds. It distorts our view. So, sin is a big deal to God because it messes with your hope. It messes with your view of him your ability to see the future and see his goodness and see his promises clearly. The only multiverses that exist are in the, are in the, are in the minds of people who are believing lies. Because there's only one God and there's only one plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, that's it. And when we believe lies and when we, when we choose to disobey God, we're distorting our minds. We cannot see clearly reality. 
I'm, I'm convinced that depression is a broken imagination. Now I say that someone who experiences depression and who fights depression, I'm not saying that as someone who is speaking you know, without experience. But I do think that it's a broken imagination. I think that you lose the capacity to look to the future and see anything good happening for you or for anybody else. We have this thing called the hippocampus. I don't know if some of you nerds, that there's, there's a spot in our brain uh, that is called the hippocampus. Apparently it's named after a seahorse because it looks like a seahorse. It's pretty, pretty cool. Um, but what it does is that it, 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 the function is that it is your creative, creative spot of your brain. It imagines, but it also uh, pulls up memories. So it does both of those. And scientists say that they've, di they've discovered that when you're envisioning the future, obviously you're not seeing the future, you know, unless it's like supernatural, but you're envisioning the future, all that your brain, the, the hippocampus is doing is that it's grabbing, it's pulling from past memories, like little bits and pieces of past memories, and it's like piecing things together, and it's like, this is what I think the future's gonna look like. So what happens is that we take the junk from our past experiences of what sinful man can do, and it just, you're stuck in this loop. You're like, you're like all this crud that has happened to me, the sin, death, and corruption that I've experienced in the world, and you're just pulling up in your mind, and you're only seeing the junk that you've experienced, and it's just, you're stuck in this loop, and then what happens? Your imagination is broken. You can't see the future and see anything good anymore. So because of the fall, our hippocampuses are broken. Mine is crazy. I don't know what's going on with mine because I have, I have a good imagination, like in the imagination department, excellent. Memory, terrible. So mine's definitely broken, for sure. <laughs> can't seem to, like, I have this problem with direction, like I can picture a house but I can't picture how to get there, even if I've been there like five times. It's broken. So when you get to this point where you cannot see a future with anything good, that's, you know, that's depression, that's hopelessness. And my testimony is that um, I let so many things um, <clears throat> populate my imagination through my own rebellion against God that I could no longer see anything good in the future and I was considering ending my life at 19. I was considering the best way to end it. And it's because I was contributing to an already broken hippocampus. I was, I was distorting the reality that God was good and that God loved me. I couldn't see that. I say that to say you're not alone if you struggle with that. And that wasn't the last time that I struggled with hopelessness. So if you're there, if, if you're there frequently, you're not alone. Not just because that I experience it, but you know that there are many instances in the word of God where saints are honest about their, their sense of depression and hopelessness. They're, it's all over the place. Uh, Psalm 42, don't go there yet, but um, that's basically where the psalmist is at. 
Well, I'm just going to touch on one Bible character that uh, confesses his depression and hopelessness, the Apostle Paul. Um, if you want to, you can turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to read it for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. The Apostle Paul confesses honestly. He gives this raw honesty about where he was at. He says in verse 8, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So apparently, whatever they were experiencing, Paul and his missionary team, they were experiencing something so hard that even the Apostle Paul and his missionary team were like, we're ready to throw in the towel. We can't see anything in the future that's good. And so they're despairing of life itself, it says. But what Paul says next, you guys, pay attention to what he says next because what it tells us is that God had a priority for Paul and his missionary team. God was, this, this priority was so high that he was willing to let the apostle Paul and his team go through something so hard that they would despair of life itself. Listen to what he says next. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then listen. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What was God's priority for Paul and his missionary team? What was it that he, he didn't want them to miss out on this if he delivered them from the situation too soon, they wouldn't have had hope developed. They wouldn't have said, man, I need to rely on God alone and not myself. So it was God's higher priority for them. You need to know today, I need to know today, the Apostle Paul needed to know in that moment that God is not here to fix your situation. He's here to fix your hope. He's here to fix your hope on him. In, I know I'm jumping around a lot. I told you I was going to be scattered. Okay, I warned you. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Again, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to reference it really fast. Eventually, we will get to our anchor text. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. We see what I, I think some other theologians have called something similar, but I'm just going to call it the trinity of our vitality. So the three things that we need in order to be healthy and strong and for our own uh, spiritual strength and vitality. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he names three things that will remain even after all spiritual gifts have passed. He says these th three things will remain. He's, he's referring, he's speaking to a church who has made way too big of a deal of spiritual gifts. 
And they're like, man, look at us. We're, we're seeing miracles. We're seeing power of the Spirit. We're, we're speaking in languages that we've never heard. Man, we are on fire. And Paul's like, that's great. That's awesome. But those things are going to pass. There's, gonna, there's three things that are going to remain. Faith, hope, and love. That tells us that the most important thing about you is not your service to God, is not your gifting, it's your faith, your hope, and your love. So how's your hope? How's your hope doing? That tells us what's the most important question we can ask about ourselves, that we assess how we're doing. What's the most important question we can ask about Philippi? What's the most important, if someone is looking at Philippi and assessing Philippi, like, all right, what's the most important question we can ask to find out how, how they're doing? Is it we experience prosperity? Is it we're seeing miraculous power? Is it we're growing numerically? Is it there are a lot of young families? If someone was assessing us, are the most important questions that they could ask about us, do they talk about Israel and prophecy? Do they have a lot of views on YouTube? Are they Calvinists? <laughs> Arminians? Where do they land on some of these issues? Or is the most important question that we can ask about ourselves is, is their hope set right? Is their faith on Christ alone? Is their love circulating through the body like a healthy nervous system? Those are the most important questions we need to ask. So how's our hope, you guys? Is it set on God? Or is it set on the fuzzy feelings of being in a room together with a cool building? Is it set on God or is it set on a dynamic speaker? If it's not set on God intentionally, man, we're gonna set it on all kinds of things that are gonna disappoint us. And I guarantee you, if I haven't disappointed you yet, I will. If Sam hasn't, he will. Not because we're trying to. God is the only firm foundation that you can stand on that won't disappoint you. God alone. He's, he wants your hope fixed on him because he knows that is solid ground. But hope has to be intentionally fixed. Twice in scripture we're told to put on the helmet of salvation. Uh, when it's talking about it in the armor in Ephesians 6, it just says the helmet of salvation. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, and 9, it, it's a more specific and it says the helmet, um, it says uh, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, there's faith, hope, and love again, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he doing there? He's saying, all right, here's a promise, right? God speaks a promise. He's saying, you've got salvation coming from Jesus Christ, okay? He speaks that promise, and then what does he do? He, he basically gives you that information so that it can populate your imagination. You can begin to envision it, and he tells you to put, uh, uh, put hope on like a helmet. So the analogy that it's, that it's conjuring up, the, the picture in your head that it's conjuring up is a warrior in battle who needs headgear for head protection. And head wounds are, are, are fatal. You get you know, a sword to the head without a helmet on, you're done. So hope, here's, here's what hope does. Hope provides protection for your head space. We often say sometimes, my headspace, I'm not in the right headspace right now. So my rec- recommendation to you and to me when we're in that place is to put on hope like a helmet. It has to be intentionally put on. I think it's one of the biggest keys to our mental health, hope. I think we really underestimate it. I'm not saying it's the only thing that we need. There's a lot of things. I mean, just like exercise is one of those things. But hope, I think, is often overlooked. We've got to populate our imagination with gospel realities and fix our spiritual eyes on grace, you guys. God's grace. And anticipate receiving it. All right. Psalm 42, verse 11 spend the rest of our time there and want to ask this question, how do we put on hope? When we feel despair looming, when we feel depression coming on, we're in this season right now where it's darker, longer, or we need to start thinking about these kinds of things, and we need to be intentional about fighting for our hope and fighting for each other. Guys, all the time, I'm experiencing, not only in myself, but people around me, and they're just like, man, I've, I just feel down and, and cruddy, and I can't clear the fog out of my head. I need to fight for one another, and so um, I'm going to pull out of this passage five things that are wise moves we can make when despair is looming. Wise moves... Five wise moves when, when despair is looming. Psalm 11, let's, let's read it. Or I'm sorry, Psalm 42, verse 11. Let's read it. Here's another character in the Bible that is honest and raw about where he's at. Let's see what he does about it. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Um, It's believed that this psalmist is trying to get to Jerusalem, trying to get to the temple to worship. And he's running up against roadblock after roadblock, and he's running against enemies that are stopping him, and he's frustrated, and he's losing hope. And he's cast down, his soul is cast down, meaning he's depressed. 
He can't look to the future and see anything good. So the first thing he does is he speaks to himself. He preaches to himself. And he asks this question, why are you cast down? First wise move when despair is looming. Make the distinction between feelings and identity. Make the distinction between feelings and identity. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's addressing how he feels by way of conversation with his soul. He's looking at his emotions and he's having a conversation with his soul. He's able to look at his emotional state as a condition and not an identity. He doesn't go, this is how I feel, this, that therefore this is who I am. But oftentimes what we do is that we take how we feel, we take our emotions, and instead of saying, my soul is downcast, we say, well, I'm just downcasty. this is who I am. Now I get that there, we are predisposed to different types of moods, I get that. I, I understand, but as soon as you make it an identity, it becomes way harder to hope. It's like falling into a well and pouring concrete on your feet. You're not gonna get out if you cement yourself in an identity. You have to know that it's a condition, your emotions are a condition. Though emotions can tell us where we are, emotions should not be telling us who we are. That's actually the gospel's job. That's the word of God's job to tell us who we are. That's the gospel's job to tell us who we are. Why we look to Jesus himself, the person of Jesus, to now find out who am I? He's our new way to look at ourselves. If Jesus is victorious, guess what? So are you. If Jesus was victorious over the grave, you now say, that's my identity now. If he's more than a conqueror, so am I. You see, if he has overcome the world, so have I. So make the distinction between feelings and identity. Second, make the distinction between feelings and reality. Another wise move when despair is looming. The psalmist says, why are you in turmoil within me? Notice he isolates the turmoil to an internal struggle that doesn't necessarily equate to an actual turmoil going on in the world. He's like, this is, a, this is, a, this is an inner turmoil that's happening. He doesn't just automatically believe his soul, roll over and die, because he knows that his emotions can lie to him. So he's questioning it. Why? Why are, you this, why are you feeling this way? Why are you in turmoil within me? He takes his thoughts captive. And what happens is that when we're, we feel despair looming, we don't stop and ask the question. Even though I feel like the sky is falling, is the sky actually falling? Is it? I imagine someone in a car with these really like heavily tinted windows sitting in the car 
and someone outside the car saying, man, it's just a beautiful day. Let's go for a hike or something. And the guy's in the car going, no, it just looks dark and cold. Our perspective needs help. Man, ask your friends to help you with perspective. Ask your friends to to preach the word, to preach the gospel to you. Ask your friends to pray for you when you just can't see reality. If the sky is actually falling, let's just say that that is the case. You know what that means? It means that Jesus showed up and he's redeeming everything. So if that were the worst case scenario, the sky is actually falling, that even that's good news in reality for us as Christians. The third wise move when despair is looming, make the distinction between circumstances and God. Make the distinction between circumstances and God. The psalmist says hope in God. That's what he says next. This is his command to his soul. Hope in God. God. Though his circumstances have brought him turmoil, he realizes that it's God himself is not the source of that turmoil. God is his help. He's the answer. He sees God as faithful to come to his aid, but oftentimes what we end up doing is that instead of turning our hearts to God in that moment, we get stuck in this loop of remembering old memories and we start to, our, our view gets distorted and we start asking questions like, God, how could you let this happen? And we forget God's character and we forget the gospel is the strongest way that we remind ourselves of who God is because God gave his son to experience turmoil and was cast down to the point of death on your behalf so that you could be saved and reconciled to him. Don't turn from him. He loves you with a love that you cannot comprehend. So if you're, if you're, if you're distorted, uh, if, you, if your imagination is distorted and you cannot see God's goodness, always go back to the cross and remember what he's done for you. And don't say, man, my circumstances mean that God is not good. Um, I had a mentor, have a mentor that, that said this phrase years ago that it's always stuck with me. Don't interpret God's love through your circumstances. Interpret your circumstances through God's love. Fourth wise move when despair is looming Identify hope as the root issue. Now, I'm not saying it's the only issue, (laughs) but identify it as a root issue. The psalmist says, hope in God. There's a number of things that he could have said at this point. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? There could have been a different answer to that, but his answer was a command Hope in God. He sees this, uh, d- this looming despair as a hope issue. He realizes this is his job right now. This is what I need to do. I need to hope in God and I need to command my soul to do this. 
There's a number of things that we do in, in this moment when we feel this way that's not commanding our soul. A lot of times what we do is we blame shift, make it about everyone else. Everyone else has destroyed my, 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 my sense of what I thought the future was gonna be and now I'm in this moment and everybody else needs to repent. That may be true. You may have a lot of sins that have been committed to you, uh, committed against you, that have brought you to this place of where despair is looming, but that does not change the fact that you need to hope in God in this moment. That is still your greatest need. If despair is looming, and you wanna get back to this place of you're able to see reality, don't make it about everyone else. Don't get stuck, to, stuck in victimhood. Know that it's a hope issue and that you need to start fighting for it. Fifth way, oh, before I move to that. Um, sometimes we forget that The reason why God allows us to go through some of these things that we go through. Actually, I'm gonna get to that. See, I told you I was scattered. I'm gonna get to that. All right, fifth, fifth way, um, fifth wise move when, when uh, despair is looming. Identify God himself as your hope, not an idealistic outcome. God himself is the source of your hope, not an idealistic outcome. So the psalmist says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He says, hope in the person of God, not a better day. Because in the gospel, there will be finally one day a better day, but you can, and you can hope for the better day, but don't hope in the better day. Does that make sense of the distinction? Because if you do, it might not come. And that could be really crushing. Notice that when he says, for I shall again praise him, he's hoping in that. And that's his highest aim, even inside the hopeless situation. And when he says, my salvation and my God, notice he's confessing that before the deliverance comes. Oftentimes what we do is we put conditions upon praising God and trusting in him. We'll say, all right, well, we'll see how this pans out. We'll see how this goes. And we'll see after the dust settles, maybe then I'll give my heart fully to God and praise him. But no, this psalmist makes praise his highest aim and says that God is his hope before the deliverance comes God himself is your hope, not the idealistic situa situation. Here's the point that I was gonna go to earlier, but I'm gonna go to now. A lot of times when we think about this idealistic outcome, when we're in this place of despair, you're like, man, if I can just get to this point, everything will just be better and I'll feel better. What you, don't miss this, what you have in Christ, you already have all that you hope to have in that idealistic scenario, you already have in Christ. 
and more. So don't put your hope in that idealistic outcome and think that things will be better and I'll feel better when that comes. Don't, because I've experienced firsthand that that can be shattering. Jesus, his grace is sufficient for us. All right. In conclusion, I want to point out the fact that uh, the end goal for this psalmist is praise. The end goal is praise for him. He says, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's to see God himself, to envision him in his imagination and say about him, man, he's good, he's holy, he's able to save But that praise is not pulled out of nowhere. It comes from something. It springs from something. It springs from hope. There's a progression. Hope creates joy. Joy creates praise. A few times in the the Bible, it actually tells us, and I I mentioned this at the very beginning, in Romans 5, 2, it says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In Romans 12, 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Proverbs 10, 28 says, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. So again, you guys, man, you see how important it is to not just read your Bible and not just memorize scripture, but to to, to give your imagination some breathing room to be able to see Christ and his glory and the, and, the, and the beautiful realities of the gospel? And do you see the importance of protecting your imagination and to think about what goes into your mind and what would clog up the cogs and gears of your imagination? You see how important your mind is to protect? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is the mind so important to God? Because he knows that that is where your hope dwells. I love this song by Crowder. I can't remember the name of it right now, but the, the, uh, the, the bridge says, can you see him, king of heaven, champion of all creation, eyes of fire, words of thunder. Um, Oh, what does he say? There's so many other really good uh, uh, words in there. The idea is, can you see him? Can you see the king of heaven? So I'm encouraging you guys this year, take a little bit more time to stop with the word of God because you know what? You can't see reality without it. You can't see reality without the gospel realities that, that the word of God gives you. So be in it. Let it saturate your mind. Let it change the way that you think. Think about these realities that God has spoken, these, these sure realities, and let that eager anticipation change the way that you think let God's word into your imagination so that it can stir you, stir in you a flaming, eager longing for him. And preach the gospel to your soul. 
It might sound something like, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. God, we choose today to put on hope. We confess that we need to see you. We confess that we haven't seen you clearly according to truth. We haven't put your promises before us with intentionality. God, I pray for everyone here, including myself, that fights with despair and depression. And I pray that this quality, this ability, would be the thing that fuels their joy in you. I pray that you would strengthen your church to uh, minister to one another, to help each other see reality. I pray for this time now as we uh, are going to spend just a few minutes in circles, just thinking, asking some questions. I pray that you would, um, that your spirit would just inspire us to just believe, um, believe your word and to rejoice in the gospel even more. In Jesus' name, amen.